show on Radio Karam. My name is Brendan. My name's Henry. And we are the hosts of The Gardening Show. We are excited to be joining you today and to talk about all things gardening and local food production. We are two local dads who share a passion for the garden, sustainability, growing food and just giving it a go. We also help run Downs Community Farm, which is a budding non-for-profit just adjacent to the Seaford wetlands. And our mission is to promote and share the benefits of home gardening in our local community. We're going to be talking about gardening in general. We'll play some tunes and engaging with you, our listeners. And before we get started, let's start off with our acknowledgement of country. Henry, if you'll be so kind. Thank you, Brendan. Uh, so I'd like to start the show by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on which we are broadcasting today, the Bunurong and Boonwurrung people of the Kulin Nation. And I just want to pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging and recognise that their sovereignty was never ceded. Right. Thank you so much, Henry. How you doing, Henry? I'm good. I've had a long day. I think we were talking before the show and yep. we've both had very, very long early morning start days. Respectively, <laughs> yes. But good. It's good to be here. It's a nice way to wind down the day. Mm. Yep. Um, at least that's how I see it. Uh, but yeah, good. How's your garden going? It's going pretty good. Yeah. I did a bit of a clean out on the weekend. Oh, yeah. A big weed and pulled out some of those ones that I'd let go to flower, some of the uh, spinach, silver beet and carrots yeah. and cleaned them up a little bit. Surprisingly, I found a few carrots that were still in there that hadn't gone to seed mm. and a few really good ones, which I was really oh, impressed yeah. by. So, ones, yeah. Yeah, some really good fully formed tall, long carrots. Oh, wonderful. Um, how about you? What did you get up to in the garden? Yeah, I finally got all of the old produce out of the garden mm -hmm. and completely refreshed everything in the past few weeks, maybe even before the last show. I can't remember. But um, so, yeah, everything, all the height that was there from things like you know, broad beans and, and stuff like that is brought right back down. But all my seedlings went in um, finally, all the last ones that I hadn't put in. And... Yeah, uh, in the past few weeks, I think with all the heat and the rain that we've had, they've really started to... The tomatoes have rocketed off. Mm -hmm. uh, the chilies are starting to do really well. And um, all of my cucurbits, if you <laughs> listen to the last show, if you want. Was it the last show? I think so, yeah. Yeah. Um, all of my cucurbits, so my, my cucumbers, my pumpkins, my loofah, have all really started to... To get to the point where I'm starting to have to tie them onto the trellis. Oh, wow. Awesome. So very happy with that. Sounds like they're setting well and progressing well. Yeah, definitely. And I'm, I've I've just started into planting random things everywhere mm -hmm. uh, and sort of just going real permaculture with it. And it seems to be really helping to control pests. Mm, interesting. Because um, I don't know if you've noticed this, but the amount of cabbage moths around... At the I've moment, seen, I've seen posts about it online saying, has anybody seen <laughs> the amount of cabbage moths that are floating about? There are huge amounts. I, I just did one little walk around the garden. Um, thankfully, they've they've concentrated their efforts. The caterpillars have concentrated their efforts on a few distinct 
varieties. Mm. So some kale that I put in, which I put in way more than I needed, knowing that they'd probably go for that. Yep. As well as uh, some old nasturtium that's nearly done and is now dropping seed everywhere. So I just went through and I picked like half a jar's worth of these things. It must have been 30 or 40. And then uh, you should have seen the chickens ah. when I threw them in there. Woo! They went crazy. I could have. <laughs> I could imagine. I was just thinking you, you were saying that you're taking down all the broad beans, all mm. of that sort of stuff, and I bet the chickens would have just had a ball. Yeah. Oh, that they've had a lot of fresh greens yep. in the past couple of weeks. Uh, but yeah, that, that's pretty much it. So just now, I'm just starting to see everything. You know, when you plant out your next season and everything's really small, mm-hmm. and it just looks a bit empty. And I'm now starting to see, even just in the last week, things have really started to bush out and you know push out tendrils and yeah, very good. I think we're not we're not far from you know three meter tall tomato vines. Well, you we were <laughs> talking about the cucurbits, and it was not last episode, but the episode before that we mm. went on because we did peppers and and stuff last That's last right. one. That's right. Um, but I did find some cucumel- uh, cucumelons. Yes. And I had planted some, I think I mentioned it a little while ago, that I planted some, tried to get them to germinate, didn't have any success. Funnily enough, I didn't have any success this time around as well. It just seemed to not mm. want to germinate how I had done it. Um, could have been a part of my fault. But um, uh, going down to one of the shops, I did notice that Diggers Clubs have got some pre-done cucumelons okay. where they're just seedlings. There's quite a few of them. And uh, I've set up a little cucumelon wall. We'll see how that Way, goes. Nice. So what are we going to talk about? Well, what did we discuss last week? What are we going to talk about this week? Well, last week. Last uh, so, episode. Yes, last episode. Uh, yeah, it's written right here. <laughs> we talked. Uh, we did a spotlight on um, peppers. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, uh, what's the name of the family? Don't remember. <laughs> come, we'll come back. But anyway, capsicums and chilies. Uh, we talked about the last permaculture principle. So creatively use and respond to change. Um, so we'll keep talking. Certainly, keep adding very permaculture things because I think that kind of goes hand in hand with with good food gardening um, in each episode. But the principles are out of the way. The <laughs> the the book stuff is out of the way. Yep. And we we talked a lot about water as well. So yeah. We talked about yep. um, capture and storage, and then we also talked about um, usage of water. So irrigation, ponds, bogs, and yeah, different ways to um yeah to use that water that you've that beautiful untreated water that you've captured from the sky Mm -mm. what about this week this week we are talking food forests hey we've got a couple of topics we've got food forests we're talking summer garden care yes and we're doing a bit of a spotlight on food vines yes so think about grapes passion fruit kiwi and hops Mm. amongst other things there's so many but Mm. i think we we just picked perennial ones really yeah those ones that you set up in you kind of want to keep them around for a while. <laughs> so the capsicums are part of the nightshade family, Solanaceae. Solanaceae, thank you. I, I should have known that, obviously. Uh, but yeah, um, as always, don't forget to send through any gardening questions uh, to our mobile here, 0493 um, Or in between shows, you can email us um, at our new show email, um, somewhat new, uh, thegardeningshowradio at gmail.com. And we have a question that we'll answer shortly from that. Beautiful. Uh, as well as a question that came in um, online as well. Awesome. Yeah, so we've got a few. 
it's actually it's really cool when when we do get people calling in or mm. sending in messages or emailing through and and genuinely listening it's really great for us to get that little bit of resonance as well yeah. and and hear that people are listening and enjoying it um so we'd love your feedback and i'll do a bit of a call out a little bit later at the end of the show for a little bit more feedback over over uh the christmas break so that's probably something that we do not want to mention is this is actually going to be the last show for 2024 mm. as we come closer to the year end. And often there's a lot of stuff going on uh, with families and work and all of that yeah. sort of stuff in December. Um, so we decided to make this one the last one for the year and we'll likely start afresh back in January. That's right. Uh, and look, we're not married to the format of the show either, mm. I don't think. So, yeah, if you have good suggestions... Um, please send them through. We'd love to hear it. And uh, this show is as much for the listeners as it is for you and me to just sit here and <laughs> and have a chat. And have a chat. Have a chat every couple of weeks. Um, but yeah, let's go into the, the first question. We'll, we'll do them both, but we'll go into the first one. So this was an email that came in from Laura. So thank you, Laura. Uh, hey guys, just discovered this show and listening back through the episodes, uh, loving the content and learning about permaculture. Uh, I have a question about cabbage moths. Um, I've noticed tons of them recently and now my kale is covered in green caterpillars and disappearing before my eyes. What can you recommend to get rid of them without chemicals or having to pick all of them off by hand? Also, please do a live chili tasting. (laughs) Sorry, I know we mentioned that in an episode a long time ago. Mm -hmm. It was a funny idea. So thank you, Laura, for working your way through (laughs) all the episodes. Uh, And... I've got some good news about the live chili tasting. We'll talk about that at the end of the show. Sounds good. It's <laughs> um, a good yeah, question. Thoughts, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So cabbage moths, um, I feel it's a it's a, almost a daily battle uh, mm. when it comes to the cabbage moths. And one of the things that I do and what I've tried to do this year specifically, especially for things like um, the, the brassicas, the kales, the yeah. cabbages, all of those sorts of plants, um, I went hard with doing an in, a round every day of watching yeah. and as soon as I saw them uh, they uh, I'd best pick them off and throw them to the to the birds I tried to keep that quite um, quite consistent so yeah. I was doing it every single day um, the other one it, netting maybe yeah. might be working um, if you can get the a net with small enough holes that it's not going to allow the cabbage moths to essentially fly through mm. um, netting is another idea and you know it could even be something that you weight down on that bed uh, like a hoop bed for example yeah. um, with just bricks or something along those lines to hold it down it doesn't have to be a permanent structure but potentially whilst it, they're heavily active and really going for it, yeah. <laughs> those butterflies um that way the butterflies can't actually get in and then land on the leaves to plant, uh, uh, sorry, to lay eggs. And um, the other thing, the other tip, if you are doing things by hand, um, but sorry, Laura, I know you mentioned not, um, is to turn the underside of the leaf as well, just gently and check and see where those eggs are because it's mm. a very easy brush off for the eggs yeah. so that they don't form then into caterpillars. Um Chickens. Chickens is also another great one. Great protein. What else, what else can you think of? So I guess the, the the good urban farmer in me, the good permaculturalist in me will say the best thing to do is to, uh, number one, accept that you're going to have some loss, mm-hmm. of course. Uh, you know, a garden should have insects in it, predators and prey. If you, you know, if you get rid of all of your prey insects, uh, uh, yeah, your prey insects, so things like, you know, caterpillars and, 
uh, aphids and things like that, then there's you're not going to have any predators in your garden either. Mm. So they don't have any reason to go in there. So there's, you have to strike a bit of a balance. But you know, encouraging diversity in your planting, interplanting, all of those sorts of things can really help. And lots of flowers. Yep. You know, bring in predators, things like hoverflies and you know, um, what are they called? Parasitic wasps. Encourage all that stuff into your garden. And I think that's going to, in a holistic way, sort of help. Uh, also, you know, plant sacrificial crops. Mm. So, I was just um, thinking sacrificial crops. For me, I find, I don't know what it is because nasturtium has a very strong flavor. They love nasturtiums. Every time I plant a, a little new nasturtium seedling next to even something that you'd think would be very amazing and tasty, like lettuce or cabbage or something. Opting for the nasturtium. They always go for the nasturtium in my garden. Interesting. I don't, I don't Good know strategy. Why that is. Yeah. So you've so, got a companion sacrificial plant hmm. um, and, a, and something that's going to fit both ways and yeah. something that's producive, uh, productive plant yeah. as well. We've spoken about nasturtium flowers. and That's it. Hmm. And they can handle it and they'll just grow. They'll get past that first stage and then they'll just explode in growth. Hmm. It's as if nothing ever happened. The other last thing I would say is, um, you know, if they are specifically focusing on, you know, one type of plant, mm-hmm. Just accept that that's the sacrifice plant and just plant some other stuff as well and let them happen. This is a really good thing to do with aphids. So I'll use an example from my garden. I had uh, some broccolini plants and just one of them, one of the, I think I planted five or something, one of them was completely getting decimated by aphids Mm. and the other, you know, three or four were totally untouched. Interesting. So... You know, obviously it could be the seed, you know, it's just a genetically weaker broccolini or when I or the seedling when I planted it. For whatever reason, you know, these sorts of insects, they pick the easy the easy meal. Mm. <laughs> they don't necessarily go for the real strong, vibrant plants. So if there's one that's just getting attacked, let it get attacked. Use that as your beacon to bring predators in and accept the loss. And hopefully, Laura, it's not that you're losing everything and that it's totally wiping out the crop. Then you're going to have to get out there, I'm sorry, with gloves, pick them off. Yeah. (laughs) There's no two ways about it. Um, Yeah, we don't want to be spraying stuff and, you know, ruining the biodiversity of our garden in other ways. Mm. Yeah. Good strategy. Hope for the best. Good luck with those ones, Laura. Good question. Absolutely. Um, And then the other question that we had. So this one is from John. Um, so hi John um, I think you sent a few in the past so thank you very much uh, let's get here so big fan of gardening love my veggie patch and I'm getting into permaculture excellent uh, but I also love my lawn can I have both uh, and are there any permy tips for a more sustainable lawn mm, yep mm, I'll kick this one off go for it yes uh, look I I have in the past been a, you know, remove all lawns kind of a person. And mm-hmm. then you have children. Yep. And you're like, oh, you know what? They need somewhere to run <laughs> and be play nice to and have kick the footy and all sorts of stuff. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, in my not very large backyard, I've dedicated a patch to, to lawn. Mm-hmm. Um, my way of permaculture managing it is, is I just let it go a bit wild, to be honest. Um, you know, a lot of things obviously pop up. Um, you know, sour grass is one of the big ones that pops up. Sorrel or whatever it's called pops up in there. There's occasionally, you know, a dandelion will pop up. And I really don't mind them. Yep. 
you know, they don't really cause me any issue. I don't need a pristine lawn. I just need somewhere that I can mow every now and again and is a nice place to sit and have a picnic or, you know, for, for my daughter to run around. Um, so that's one option. Another option is to be a, a little bit more um, intentional with it mm. and pick some varieties that you want to interplant with that lawn. So the classic example is clover. Clover, yep. clover of course. And, and I've never seen clover sold at the big green uh, box store. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I'm not saying this to throw shade on them, uh, but, you know, they've got a lot of uh, investment in in lawn care mm. <laughs> in terms of products. So I can see why um, they might not sell that stuff. Or maybe they do or maybe I just haven't seen it. But shops like the Diggers Club, they sell varieties of clover, definitely. Yep. Um, and bringing those flowers into your lawn is what's going to you know, encourage beneficial insects to to come because otherwise your classic lawn, your, your buffalo, your kaku, whatever it is, um, it's not really attractive to, mm. to beneficial insects that much. Most of the grasses as well, lawn grasses, do require some sort of care and maintenance yeah. and often they're going to be quite heavy drinkers as well. So yeah. especially out in the in those cracks of summer, right in the summer, that's obviously why naturally you see things browning off and, mm. and, brown, and yellowing off as well. Um, I like the interplanting idea. Yeah, maybe not necessarily keeping it all as uh, one uniform lawn. Mm. It's totally personal cho- choice and preference as well. And uh, you know, when we mm. give out ideas and stuff, it's not going to be the only way to do things. And in fact, I'd probably implore that people find their own ways to do things as well um, to experience you know different stuff and diversity. Definitely. I love the idea of the uh, ground cover, the creeping time, yep. um, and the pink flowers that come off of that. Um, right about now actually and yeah I think that looks brilliant or, or maybe it's just passed um, now that we're getting into summer um, yes I think you can definitely have both yeah. sometimes it's easier just letting it go for a little bit longer letting a, a flower run mm. through before mowing it again and maybe not mowing it when it's only <laughs> gone up for three yeah. or four centimeters um, but then again some people are super passionate and they do want a uh, a lawn green lawn i am guilty i am guilty of sorry a golf green lawn i should a say golf green lawn. I look i, I play golf hmm? <laughs> i like a good lawn don't get me wrong i like a good lawn uh, i see a place for them hmm. um my thing is that i think more areas that are lawn should be reclaimed as food mm-hmm. growing um but I, I i would never get rid of lawn in, in general hmm. i think maybe we just need to change our definition of lawn from just a few very specific varieties of grass, mm-hmm. rhizomous grass, to any sort of ground cover that is hardy but also pleasant to walk on. Yep. And things like creeping thyme can fall into that yep. category. Yeah. Mm. As does clover, obviously. Good question. Good question. Great question, John. John. Yeah. Um, I was thinking about we could do an episode on on lawns, but I think we just covered everything there is to know about, <laughs> about lawn. In terms of actual lawn care, I was way out of my area of expertise. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I think likewise, admittedly. We did go back into the soil discussion True. probably in the first half of the uh, the season. Yeah. And uh, Oh, we're calling them bit. seasons now. I love that. <laughs> season one of the gardening show. Well, I figure we're going to have to make season I, next year for season two, so this must be true. season one. That's true. <laughs> Great one. Anyway, great question. Thank you again, John, and thank you, Laura, as well, for that, that question before. Um, so we'll go to our first song. This one is by um, a lovely Swedish fella 
Um, I can't remember his actual name, but he goes by the tallest man on earth. He's not. I've looked. Uh, but <laughs> this song is called <laughs> The Gardener. Oi, 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 oi. IGA, it's shopping night. IGA, where the price is right. Seaford North IGA, for your groceries and liquor. IGA Express, there's nothing quicker. And we're back. Once again, that was The Gardener by Tallest Man on Earth. I actually giggled quite quite a lot when you, when you said when I checked him out, he's just average-sized. What can you do? Uh, I'm just that kind of person. Uh, that was a great dad joke. It's right in there. I know. Well oh, yeah, it, it was a dad joke, wasn't it? <laughs> I suppose I should lean into it by now. Yeah. Cool. So, food forests. Food forests. Yeah. This is, uh, I think, a topic that interests many people. Mm. Um, but it's good to know, I guess, what what makes a food forest. Yeah. Because it's not always as easy as some people think. Oh, you just uh, plant some lettuce under a lemon tree and you've got a food forest. Yep. There's a little bit more to it than that. Um, but yeah, you want to kick us off on... Sure. Yeah, on yeah, this, for yeah? sure. So welcome to the world of food forests. <laughs> this is where the harmony of nature and agriculture entwined, intertwines to create sustainable, resilient and bountiful ecosystems. Love it. So a food forest is a carefully designed and cultivated space that essentially mimics the structure and functions of a natural forest but is intentionally planted mm. um, with a diverse array of edible plants. Uh, the, the approach itself uh, goes beyond traditional agriculture. It emphasises not only cultivation of crops but also the nurturing of the self-sustaining ecosystem. Mm. Yeah. In a food forest, layers of vegetation ranging from towering trees to growing cover, um, grow to ground cover plants work together to create a balance of regenerative of and regenerative environment. Fruit and nut trees form the canopy. They provide shade and produce delicious, nutritious yields. And then below them, shrubs and bushes contribute additional edibles. Um, then there's herbaceous plants and ground covers to cover the soil, and that prevents erosion and suppresses weeds. And then throughout all of these layers, um, and layers is probably one thing I definitely want to focus mm. on in, in when we talk about food forests, is that you've got climbing vines um, that weave through these layers and then that also adds to the productivity of a food forest. Yeah. So I like the idea of mimicking uh, the natural process and intentionally interplanting with with natural trees. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily mean that Every single tree in a food forest will have to be a productive tree. And in fact, we'll talk about some stuff later on uh, about food forest trees and setting up, especially in establishing food forests um, for specific purposes, trees yeah. that we're going to set up so that we can cut them down again. Yeah, okay. Well, yeah, this is uh, this is one of those topics that people assume when, when someone says permaculture, they're like, oh, yeah, food forests. <laughs> And it's well, no, it's not. It, it is. It is an element that can be, they be chosen uh, to be implemented in a permaculture garden. Often it depends on space because mm. we are talking trees, but not always. I mean, you can do a food forest on a balcony, if you think about it. You know, you can have a, a fruit tree in a pot, and then you can under, underplant that fruit tree, and then you can have you know lots of different ways to do it. But essentially, if you look it up, you'll see that you know. 
there's differing numbers, but generally speaking, there's there's seven layers mm-hmm. to a food forest. You don't have to do every single one. I think I think the somebody correct me if I'm wrong, but I think if you have at least three of these layers or something like that, it, it, it qualifies as a food forest. But mm-hmm. there's no food forest police, so yeah, fine. <laughs> but yeah, I, I'll go through them. Um, so you mentioned some of them already. So the, the top layer is the canopy, the canopy layer. So that's your tallest trees. So that'll be, um, that might be large existing trees, um, but it could also be large fruit trees or nut trees. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll just give examples of only food plants, but you're right, they don't always have to be. Then you have your lower tree layer, so your subcanopy. So that's might be dwarf fruit trees or just fruit trees that naturally don't grow very large. Um, so we're talking maybe anything up to five meters tall and then canopy being five plus. Um, but again, you're gonna, you might keep all of these a little bit lower so that you can actually harvest, harvest them and <laughs> you know? access and reach them. That's yep. it. Then you have your shrub layer. So that's your, your bushes, right? So it, typically we're talking berries, currants, anything that's uh, you know, often a perennial um, and, or usually definitely a perennial if it's a shrub. Um, then you have your herbaceous layer. So this is where you can have a mixture of both perennial and annual plants as well. So that's going to be, you know, different herbs, of course, but then even things like lettuce and, you know, um, silver beet and stuff can, can make a part of that as well. Then you have your rhizosphere. So that's your under the ground layer. So that's your root vegetables, essentially. Then you have your surface layer. So that's your ground covers. So it could be things like strawberries or creeping thyme, mm. things like that. And then you have... Uh, one of my favorite ones, of course, and we'll talk about it a bit later, your vertical layer. So that's your climbers and your vines that can sort of intertwine through all of it. So, yeah, if you get all seven of those in a food forest... Doing very well. They're doing very, very well, but you don't have to have all of them. Mm. So, as you said, it's going to be dependent on space, a number of different considerations, and also how much you want to invest into into the food forest and setting it up. Um, Obviously, setting this up, it's going to take a long time. Um, Potentially, it's going to take quite a long time. And uh, we do consider it and plan it out quite a lot. Mm. So, it's often a a lot more of an initial setup for something that's going to be a self-sustaining and natural environment later on down the track. There's also the option of, this is the thing with gardening, it either takes time or money, one or the other. Yep. (laughs) You can buy fully established fruit trees if you're willing to spend thousands of dollars. Mm. So, that's an option. That might be an option for some people. Not for me. (laughs) (laughs) I like that you went into the rhizosphere Mm. as well. Um, And that was missed in in my introduction there. But um, adding root layers, uh, the root vegetables into that one and the herbaceous ones as Mm. well. Yeah, really cool. Yeah. So, I mean, so I touched on it. One of the emphasis, uh, one of the the emphases, (laughs) I suppose, of food forests is is perennial plants. So you have to think... um, yeah, nature likes to make forests. Forests are everywhere. And if climate allows, uh, nature will typically move towards a forest sort of environment uh, because that the shade allows lots of different types of plants to grow underneath and you've got different kinds of light levels. So you've got, you know, full shade, you've got dappled, you've got, you know, open bits that allow full sun to come in. So lots of little plants can fill all those niches mm. and that's why you see such diversity in forests. But perennials is, is really the way to go because you to get those bigger layers of structure, you can't really do that with plants that go through their life cycle in one year. 
Um, so that's why we, we do typically focus on perennials. And the good thing about perennials is once they're well-established, they have much lower care than, you know, lettuce, for example, which is, you know, yep. it needs a bit of babying sometimes <laughs> when it comes to water and such. Oh, um, I'd yeah. love to have a system and I often think about this as a system that if I was to walk away from and then come back in a month or in three months, what would there be to do, um, yeah. i.e. is it still doing what it needs to? Is it still existing in its little mm. ecosystem and running things the way that it naturally does or does it need me to go in and input lots in there? And I do love the idea of that natural... I was mentioned it a little while ago, stun gardening, sheer total utter neglect, yeah. but, <laughs> but not from a detrimental to the plant's point of view, but really just um, setting it up in that natural method. Exactly. So, yeah, um, I mean, the other benefits, I suppose, of, of this type of um, gardening, I suppose you can call it, is is the diversity. Mm. So you can think you're providing so many different types of habitat uh, for for beneficial and not so beneficial but all kinds of um, insects birds other wildlife and it is really just a a holistic approach to sustainable living helps to address food security because obviously you can do things very densely Mm -hmm. um, unlike you know more traditional agriculture where there's a lot of spacing and there's a lot of thought about tractor access and and what have you so yeah and I, i mean i'm sure you've seen plenty of examples online of food forests i've seen some that are not not huge either you know we're talking you know less than a quarter acre Mm. you know um and even much smaller than that and again because you're not obviously because you don't have straight paths you often if you do a food forest you're going to have more of a meandering kind of um path structure i suppose organic path structure uh, it could actually really help even for a very small space to give your garden the, the impression that it's much larger than it is, mm, yep. um, you know, by creating different areas of interest. So it's also very aesthetic as well, I yep. find. Mm. Uh, would, I think everybody would love to have a garden where they could have a secret, you know, a secret reading corner or a little nook where they could sit and, and have a bit of space and a bit of peace or mm. something for the kids to go and explore, a little fairy garden, that sort of thing. Love the idea of just walking through and just closing my eyes, reaching out in any direction and, and grabbing food <laughs> <laughs> and just having that all around me. The um, walking supermarket. That's exactly, yes. So, yeah, Brendan. How do you set up a food forest? Yeah. What's some tips? <coughs> cool. So we would need to, if we start from the start, we're thinking site selection. Yeah. Where are we placing it? Um, one thing to do is to choose a suitable location with good sunlight, good soil, good water availability. Water's a big one. Water's a huge yeah. one. Um, but very much so consider your local climate and think about plant, choosing plants that are going to thrive in the specific conditions that we of our region Mm. um (coughs) and there's no reason if i just jump in for one second Mm. there's no reason you can't make a food forest that is entirely bush food sure native bush food there's no reason you can't do that if you're struggling to grow anything in your garden uh, trust me there is a native australian bush food that works in your area and probably loves it in your area so that's always an option Mm. Either, either mixed in or as your entire thing yeah 
Um, so that apart, once we've got our site, we, we know where we're going to set it up. Um, the next part is, is really laying this out and designing it. Mm. Um, so plan the layout of, of your food forest. Consider the different layers. Consider the canopy, the understory, the shrubs, the ground covers. Um, and then think about where we're placing the tr- trees. So if we're in the southern hemisphere and we're getting north facing mm. if we put large trees right up against the north line of the property or of the food forest potentially what we're doing is providing too much shade for too that much. whole area yeah so have a consider where especially those large canopy trees are and again as you said henry you might actually be working around existing large trees yep. so maybe just looking at the site and seeing what you can do from there what's next uh, so, of course, plant selection. So, you know, as we said, prioritize perennials and natives because um, that's really going to build that resilience and sort of ecosystem uh, integration, I mm-hmm. guess. Um, and really, you know, yeah, you're going to have to deal with some possums and such. It's just the way that it is. But some for them, some for us. That's that's a good thing about a food forest. You can almost not eat all the amount of food that you could potentially be growing. Mm. So you might as well share some. Um, and diversity. So, yeah, fruit and nuts, trees, shrubs, vines, ground covers, as many of those seven layers as you possibly can. Uh, there's, I've seen some of these things that say there's nine layers. So there might be nine layers. I don't know. You can mm. Have a look at that. Um, and obviously have a working understanding or, or do some research about companion planting because – not everything works well next to everything else, of course. Some plants are going to compete for nutrients. Um, some plants are going to shade out others. There's there's probably a place for everything, but you really have to think about where things go. And it, it might be really worth drawing it, you know, getting a, drawing out a map of your backyard, you know, in permanent marker or something, and then get a pencil and start to just play around and, and think of not how big is the lemon tree I just put in, how big will the lemon tree be? And mm. plan around that. Yes, I've made that mistake before. <laughs> I haven't considered where something's going to be five years from now. Yep, yep. Yeah. I'll put four fruit trees into this space and really it's only supposed to be yeah. a good spot for two. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> uh, soil prep's another big one, of course, and we've said this before. Um, you know, if you don't already know uh, what your soil is like, get a soil test. Um, you know, even if you've done a pH test or something, for something like this where you're investing a lot of time and potentially money into getting some established fruit trees as part of this, you do want to make sure you're not wasting that money. Mm. Even a a very small citrus might still set you back 60 bucks or something. So, And if you get bigger, obviously it's going to be bigger. So find out with a proper like send away soil test, what are, you know, what's the composition of your soil? What are the nutrient levels? Do you need to amend anything? Um Get things started off on the right foot. After that, or once they're established, plants are really, they're exceedingly good at creating their own soil. Mm. Uh, why wouldn't they be, right? But you want to make sure they don't have to fight to survive when you first put them in. And then, yeah, compost, just compost. If, if, if in doubt, liberally apply organic matter compost. Yep. That's usually going to, if it's good quality compost, is going to be a, a good thing. So we've talked soil mm. prep. Next is water management. Yeah. Um, so again, what we're thinking about water management for a food forest um, is it could potentially be irrigation systems. Um, we do need to consider those different 
needs of the different layers of plants. Um, but a huge one can be that collecting and storage of rainwater through barrels or other methods. Mm. Um, the other part of it you just mentioned a second ago, mulching. It's going to retain water yep. and, and help th- uh, for to avoid loss of water through evaporation and things like this. Mm. Um, next thing to do is have a look at a maintenance plan as well. This is so important for a food forest mm. because even though they're, they can certainly deal with you going away for even a few months once they're established, no problem. Yeah. You're going to have to do some pruning. Yes. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. Pruning will be really important. Um, So think about your maintenance schedule, which tasks you're going to be putting into for pruning, for weeding, for any sort of pest control. Um, We can obviously see we're going to 100% encourage no sprays and what have Mm. you. Try and bring in those natural predators, as you mentioned earlier on. And just also just regularly check out your plants. And we yeah. do it all the time in our own gardens. But as you're walking through, does stuff need attention? What yeah. do I need to plan for? What do I need to maintain? The thing as well, I mean, with, with the, I guess, the density that you can achieve in a, in a food forest, there is a lot of potential for disease to spread mm. um, and for pests to spread. So you really need to keep your eye on it. Um, yeah. Or accept the loss. And really let it be a forest, a natural ecosystem. There's going to be winners and losers winners out and in losers. nature, that's for sure. Some years you get apples and some years you don't. And that's just the way that it is. You can take that approach. That's that's also fine. <laughs> what else? Um, succession planning. Mm-hmm. Another big one as well. So planning for the long term, you know, uh, even though we're talking about mainly having perennials, um, perennial doesn't mean forever, <laughs> you know. Uh, fruit trees might last decades. Some things that we think of as, you know, really long-lived perennials like uh, because they get so big, like passion fruit, and we'll talk about that later on in the show, they have a, a functional lifespan of you know, maybe five years in terms of good fruiting. So think about that and plan for that and know that your choices, you might not just be able to plant another passion fruit because after a few years, the ecosystem would have changed. So you might have to like move things around a little bit and if you've got annuals in there, like any other sort of veggie garden, you're going to have to have a sort of succession plan for um, you know, making sure you're, for example, planting, if you're doing lettuces in, in a food forest, that you're you're seeding lettuce quite constantly um, because you're obviously going to be harvesting it and, you know, just like a veggie garden, I guess. Yep. Um, that's important too. Yeah. Um, and document and evaluate. That's... The last one I'll talk about. Um, <laughs> this is perfect. Yeah. I love. I, I was thinking about your suggestions last garden time. Journal, garden journal. Garden journal. Uh, garden journal. <laughs> you know, if you're going to have a lot of plant varieties, mm. think of think of when you first became a gardener, Brendan, and every sort of new plant that you planted. You have to do a bit of learning about it, right? Yeah, yeah for sure. And and that learning only gets better over time. So if you're not recording that. You kind of have to like relearn certain things. So using the example, I don't know, maybe tomatoes. You know, not all tomatoes have to be planted uh, on, you know, grand final or was it cup? That's grand final. Grand final grand weekend. Final weekend. Yeah. Um, some, you know, species you, you'll notice over time do better if you plant them two weeks before mm. or three weeks after or what have you. So you're going to have to start observing this because you're going to have so much information to hold for all these different trees and shrubs and, and what have you. So 
yeah, especially for a food forest, like any garden, but especially a food forest, you need to document and keep records because this is a long game mm. type of gardening. And patterns are going to emerge and you don't want to constantly have to be sort of reinventing the wheel every year or two. Well, admittedly, ad- admittedly, my mind can be a bit of a sieve sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and when I want to recall specific information, often it's not quite as <laughs> quick yeah, as what it used uh, to be. Right. Um, so I think that's a really good strategy <laughs> as well. Uh, maybe the fail-safe method, hey? Yeah, that's it. Um one thing that we did want to talk about as well with this one, we mentioned it before, is pioneer trees. Yes. So what purpose does a pioneer tree serve and what is a pioneer tree? And essentially is a really quick breakdown. A pioneer tree is a really fast-growing uh, plant. It provides canopies. Often they're nitrogen-fixing. Um, it does help break up the soil. Uh, they can be grown to be chopped down. And essentially, it's an integral part of, of planting uh, in a food forest. It helps to add nutrients back into the soil and retain moisture, protect from erosion, and all of those really good things we were just talking about. So this is a very fast-growing tree that you can grow in between as a purposefully sacrificial tree. Yep. And it's going to be providing that environment for the rest of the trees to be protected and come up in. Often, if we wanted to just simply start from a food forest from scratch, we're not starting with planting in apple trees and, and fruit trees and yep. what have you. We're actually starting to build the structure and foundation of the food forest before mm. all of the rest of the stuff gets implemented. So it's kind of this is the idea of these uh, pioneer trees, and you may, in looking and or researching around um, around food forests, see this term come up quite a lot. Yeah. And essentially, that's the function and purpose. Yeah, really important information. So, what are some examples of great food forests? You know, where could you go? So we've mentioned it time and time again, uh, Meliodora, uh, up in oh, I can't remember the name of the town. Caroline Springs up that, that way. way up that way yeah <laughs> near, Car- near Caroline Springs Hepburn Springs near Hepburn and Springs. Dalesford yeah way, that area um, which is of course the the I think it's one acre um, property of uh, David Holmgren co co um, creator I suppose of, of permaculture yeah that's I yeah it's a food forest it, it's it's a bit of both. I think it's a food forest and a permaculture garden. There's elements of food forest in it, mm-hmm. the way that it's designed, but I wouldn't call it specifically a food forest. But if you want to see some of these concepts in person, it's definitely – it will give you a lot of inspiration for a food forest, 100%. Mm. Another really awesome one, and I'm actually going there this Sunday, um, is the Edible Forest um, Yarra, uh, the Yarra Valley Estate, Dixon's Creek. Um yeah, don't know too much about it. Um, I've, I've just, I've, I've purposely not looked into it too much because I want to just experience it in person. Ah, have you been there before? I have not. No. no, but I was checking it out, and there was probably two. One piece of bit of information on this is that it is it's one acre, and the whole thing is netted, fully netted, fully netted. That would have been very expensive. Mm. <laughs> um, and it had a uh, a very quick. Um, point towards two things. One was permaculture and one was culture. Oh, so they've used culture there. Mm. Yeah. So what's culture? culture, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, <laughs> but I believe it's when we're putting lots of twigs, um, 
wood, th- organic matter that's going to take a long time to break down as part of the bedding structure um, yep. where we're planting into. Um, so it might be at the bottom of a raised bed, for example, yes. or at the bottom of a, a mound um, and then you might be growing things on that mound. That's it. That's, that's it? it. Yeah. Cool. Uh, the only thing I would add is is with culture is uh, do a bit of research because it is easy to mess it up and use, you know, the classic thing is you put your logs at the bottom and then you put your sticks and your twigs and then you put your leaves, uh, your leaf and then you put your maybe uncomposted compost and then soil and then compost. And you sort of build your bed up that way. So, it's yeah, it's a really cheap way to fill garden beds, mm. uh, tall garden beds because soil can be quite expensive. But I have seen people use to fill too much of that bed with wood, um, two-thirds of it with timber and then put soil on top. And that can cause nitrogen drawdown and cause more harm than good. Mm. So it's good to have that layer of, of timber, but a bit further down. And then yeah, over time, as that stuff breaks down, your bed is going to sink in level a lot. So be prepared to, for the first few years, be adding a good 20, 30 centimeters of soil on top every time. Yep. <laughs> but good way to fill garden beds for sure. Fantastic. I didn't realize it was a culture. Was go. it entirely done like that, or no? I think elements. elements. So oh, I'm I sure think I'll you're, ask you're, you're a bajillion be, questions on Sunday. You can report back to us <laughs> next year and uh, tell us all about it. That's it. Where else? We had the seafood food forest. There was. What we, is this? We I've had the seafood food forest. We actually got some um, fruit trees donated from the seafood food forest. Wow. Uh, not too long ago, through for the downs, um, and it was kind. Unfortunately, it was, I believe, shutting down, but. Um, Fortunately, they reached out and we were able to salvage a few of the the fruit trees there because wow. obviously they've they've put a lot of time and energy into that. Um, but what I wanted to put out there was: Does anybody have an established food forest that they've developed for themselves? Um, invite me and Henry along. We'd love to. <laughs> we would absolutely love to. We'll, we'll we can do a spotlight on the show. We'll do an interview, whatever you like. Yeah. We don't have to do an interview, but we would love to come and visit. If anybody has got a amazing garden that they're proud of and that they want to, you know, show the effort and care and, and love that they put into it, Henry and I would love to come around and check it out. So, is this the start of us doing a YouTube channel where we visit places? Maybe could be. You're nodding, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> with a big smile, nodding. There you go. Um, before we get into the the next song, we just had a question come in. Um, if you want to do another question, sure. Yeah, why not? Why not? Let's let's get let's do it. I'll forget otherwise. We've got no time limit. We're good. <laughs> um, great. Did we answer? There was another question um, about the optimal time to harvest chilies. Ah, oh, yes. Did we, we did. answered that, didn't we? Yes. Okay. That was the last episode one. There you go. So, um, hey guys, I saw a random video online this week about planting an egg <laughs> under tomato plants. Can you confirm? Is this a thing? And if so, why? Thanks. Interesting. I haven't heard a whole egg before. Yeah. I, okay. Well, where I think this is coming from, Could be where I know calcium. this is coming from, is calcium. Calcium, obviously. Mm. Um, look. It won't, it won't do harm. Let's put it that way. I don't mm-hmm. think it will do harm. It's not a super effective way <laughs> to get calcium to your tomato plant. That's what I would say. Hmm. Eggshells is a great source of calcium. If you wanted to do something like this, what I would suggest is you you take your, your eggshells, 
your spent eggshells, maybe bake them for a bit in the oven, get rid of all the moisture and then grind them up mm. in a food processor or a blender until they are essentially powder and then use that as an amendment mm. to, to add calcium to your soil. But being a non-liquid feed, that's not just going to break down automatically. That's going to have to go through worms and stuff to really be useful to a plant. So this is something you would do one or two seasons before, growing seasons I say, so three to six months or so before putting your tomatoes in mm, is so what I would recommend. Amending soil. As a soil amendment. Yeah, mm. it's a calcium, it's a powdered calcium amendment. No different to um, some other one that you might buy. Yeah, so I was also reading that um, especially in really severe dry heats as well, mm. um, it can be quite difficult to be able to take up some of our macronutrients that we're, yeah. we've been looking for. So um, that's a good suggestion. And I love the the idea of just breaking up the shell as fine as you can yeah. and really watering it in, really giving it some time to be in there. Hmm. I haven't heard of the egg, the whole egg. Yeah, I know. Wait. That's cool. <laughs> Would you try it? I'm almost I'm almost tempted maybe next year to do a bit of an experiment with um yeah clone a tomato yep. so get it get a nice tomato you know cut cuttings from it clone it and then do do a bit of an experiment yep. do a whole egg maybe a scrambled egg <laughs> <laughs> do an omelet well it needs, it needs sunny to have the sunny side it up. needs to have the shells in it right <laughs> no. uh, maybe they, I just squash it in there. No, it's but it could be up shell. Who knows? It could be anything. I've heard of like burying fish, uh, fish bones, and things yeah. like that. Um, there's, there's, we've kind of gone through that whole uh, myth run, but there's plenty that we didn't cover, and I'm sure, who knows, we might might be wrong. We yeah. can experiment. We'll see what we, what happens. If it came from the earth, it should go back into the earth. Always do a control with your experiments. So as you That's just true. mentioned. Um, don't put one. all your don't put all your chips on black yeah. this one and don't start planting full eggs under everything in your garden it'd be quite costly as well if you had to go unless you have chickens i can't give eggs away quick enough oh really <laughs> so that might be an option um but yeah good question and yeah um it, it would appear that it's focusing at that adding calcium blossom end rot avoidance for sure that side of things i just think it's maybe it's that Plus, how do we make this stand out on YouTube or on Facebook? How do we mm-hmm. make it, you know, oh my God, you know, make people want to click? Mm. And it's it's kind of one of those things, I think. Clickbait, that's, that's the word right. I'm looking for, clickbait. I, yeah, there have been many, many times where, <laughs> where I'm just like <laughs> five minutes later, oh, this is interesting. This is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so getting into our first Song. Second song. Second song. Um, yeah, that's right. We did have the Bob Dylan one before. Um, the tallest man in on earth. Mm. Um, a song that pops to my mind and I think about in terms of summer uh, is has the lyrics, in the desert in the dry before the breaking of the rain, the temperature in the shade has reached 110 again. And that's about 43.3 degrees. That's hot. That is. It's pretty hot. Uh, I'm but surprised to see this band use Fahrenheit. I think... To I was, be honest, but... I, Interesting. I think this one was targeted for a, a, uh, maybe a, a US audience, but yeah. um, but no, this is Midnight Oil, Bull Roarer, fantastic song. Hey, I'm Jane Oakley, a Matilda alumni footballer, number 36, and you're listening to Radio Karam. Stay tuned. And we are back on Radio Karam. This is The Gardening Show. I am Brendan. I'm Henry. 
Welcome back. That was Bull Roarer by Midnight Oil. Oh. Great song, great album. Great we song. were just discussing Diesel and Dust it's one of the, in the break. One of the great Australian albums, yes, I think. I agree. Um, yeah. Uh, so, let's. Uh, you have a quick shout-out. I do, I do. I did want to mention just a, a very quick one. So, this is a quick shout-out to Demi. And this is in relation to tips for snails and strawberries. Um, <laughs> so, it was something that... Uh, it kind of came back to me that there was some challenges with with strawberries in the garden and yeah. especially with snails eating those strawberries in mm. the garden. And I was thinking to myself, oh, what could I what sort of advice could I give or anything like that? And in fact, when I had spoken when I did catch up with Demi and spoke about it, she has succeeded and solved the problem herself brilliantly. Okay. Um, well done. <laughs> and is now getting a, a, a essentially a plethora of strawberries, which is also great. Um so what we had was strawberries being eaten by slugs and snails and, and mainly snails. And what I found, you know, I've experienced this in the past as well, is that snails will hang out and they'll hide out during the day, come active in the evenings. And um, often during the day they'll hang around in a maybe under or near a piece of wood or yeah. maybe um, a, a retaining wall or even at the base of a strawberry plant you'll find them just sitting there. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> And the, the, my thought was doing big pickoffs. Yeah. So, again, hitting it every day consistently. And essentially that's what Demi did. Um, went through, took out all as many of those snails as, as she could and then netted the rest of the snails. Uh, sorry, the rest of the plants. And then really it didn't quite give that opportunity for the snails to get in there. Really great idea. Yeah. Well done. Amazing. Um, and just wanted to give a shout out because that was great. I wanted to just mention another quick one in, and that might be, or another quick hint, and that might be to try uh, diatomaceous earth. And essentially what diatomaceous earth is, is crushed up mineral, crushed up shell. Mm. Um, uh, this is, it's ideal for it, veggie patches and orchards. It's essentially, it's a natural pesticide made from fossilised shells. It deters a variety of garden pests when dusted on plants or applied to soil. And it's popular for the treatment of pear and cherry slug and caterpillars. Um, it is used as a barrier for snails, slugs and slaters. Um, and also in the treatment of mites and fleas on animals and poultry. That was going to be my hot tip. So... This is one of those things that um, don't ever, if you can, if you can, avoid buying this from like a garden supply place, because there's a, a huge markup on it compared to when this is my experience anyway. Compared to when you buy it at like a an animal like stock feed place, okay, yep. um, where it is sold in bulk um, at a cheaper rate. For that, for, you know, as a, as a, as a pest treatment thing mm. for like horses and cattle or whatever it is. So if you need a lot of it, and it is one of those things that you do use quite sparingly, but if you do want to buy a lot of it, um, maybe go that option mm. instead of buying a small, somewhat overpriced bag um, from, from, from a garden supply place. But... We'll wrap that one up. Mm. Thank you so much, Demi. And yeah. awesome. Congrats on getting so many strawberries. That's brilliant. I'm a little bit jealous. Mine are starting to fruit now, so I'm... I'm pretty happy. If yep. my daughter doesn't get to them all first, I hope, I hope to eat at least one. That's <laughs> at the least plan. one strawberry. I must say, raspberries at the moment are looking fantastic. 
The ones at Downs? Yes. Yes. Yeah, there's a huge patch of them. Actually, I better not say no. Um, yeah. There's a huge patch of them. They're looking really good, starting to form up. Not ready yet, but... Apparently, there was quite a few on there already, and they were snapped up Oh, by mainly my daughter. <laughs> <laughs> berries, and we've said it both time and time again, berries are brilliant for the kids. Um, you know what they're eating. Super, like, they can eat a handful of them. They'll keep on eating. They can eat a punnet full of, yeah. um, of strawberries <laughs> quite easily. But, yeah, that, this is why I bought uh, a couple of blueberry bushes mm-hmm. uh, because uh, punnets of blueberries are getting expensive. So, I, and my, we go through a volume of them. So, <laughs> I'm going to grow them myself really get into it. I know you're a blueberry guy for yep. sure. Yeah, yeah. Yep. I actually need to, uh, I want to do a, a little hedgerow wall sort of thing of blueberries. Oh. So instead of a box hedge, I want a blueberry hedge. That's my goal is walk outside with a bowl of yogurt and just shake the bush vigorously. It's great. <laughs> just let them drop in there, <laughs> leaves and all, whatever. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, if we're talking about berries, we're talking about summertime. We are. and In our, many cases, not in all cases. But. And we've got our next section, which is all about summer garden mm-hmm. care. Um, and what I wanted to think, what I wanted to talk about is maybe some of the stuff that we're just doing around our homes to care for our own gardens in summer. Um, and summers in general can be pretty intense. Um, Victoria itself displays quite a diverse climate region and area. Um, so there's lots, you know, we've got many Mm. different climate regions in Victoria. Uh, And down here along Bayside, Melbourne, along the Morning Peninsula, we can receive some really intense heat uh, in summer and there have been plenty of times where I've lost plants due to potentially a little bit of mismanagement um, in the summer. Uh, Sometimes it can take... I was watching one about potting and caring for a video, a Gardening Australia one about potting and caring for um, caring for potted plants during summer and really emphasising, Millie was emphasising that the smaller the pot... Good on you, Millie. ...the more frequently you would be wanting to water it because really in in those little black pots, it's going to not... it's that that moisture is not going to last for a very long time. That's it. Um, And so caring for the the garden there. Um, What tips do we have? So watering is is crucial mm. um particularly somewhere like victoria where you will have a lot of heat and then interdispersed in those heat periods you have like rainstorms mm. <laughs> like it's quite hard hard rains yeah so you, you do need to keep a bit of an eye on the weather um because generally speaking you want to be doing early morning watering yeah. um and the reason for that it's 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 simply that you, you give the, the plant a bit of a reserve of water throughout the hottest part of the day. Yep. Um, whereas if you sort of give them a little bit of water in the hottest part of the day, um, a lot of that's probably going to evaporate off and just, you know, not, not a good idea. So in the morning, yes, that does mean uh, if you're someone that starts work very early, I'm one of those people that sometimes you do have to get up a little bit earlier and, and do that, especially if you know there's going to be a really hot day coming. Mm. But yes, keeping an eye on it because if you know... Yes, it's going to be a very hot day, but classic Melbourne weather, you know, after midday there's going to be a thunderstorm with heavy rain. Maybe don't water that morning because weirdly, I grew up in Perth. So in Perth in summer, it's summer. It does not rain. Maybe rains one day in the entirety of the summer and it's always over 25 degrees, usually over, always over 30 degrees in summer. So you know quite consistently that, yep, you water your plants every morning or every second morning or whatever it is. In Victoria, it's not that easy and you do have to look at the 
the bureau a little bit. Yep, yep. Um, and make sure that things are always kept moist but not sopping wet. I would also add to this um, irrigation systems. So you can obviously go real, real crazy with your irrigation system, get things on a timer. As I think I mentioned this last week. This is one of those things where oh, – last episode – where irrigation timers, the cheap ones are crap. Pardon my language. They are really not good. So you do need to spend a bit of money if you want a good irrigation controller that also monitors weather, monitors rain and can do it all automatically. You've got to pay for that to really work for you. You could also go the really lo-fi – method that's been used for thousands of years uh, i believe in central america to start with which is the or uh, the oya um spelled h o no is it o l l a oya which is essentially like a clay vase that sits under the soil um with a little lid and you just fill that up with water put the lid on and being clay um more like terracotta or something it's going to leach that out slowly into the soil um that's an option, especially if you're going away for a weekend. Put those in your garden, top them up, off you go. I've seen I've seen a, 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 Hoya, a Hoya design mm. where it was interlinked, so it was almost series linked. I've seen those ones. Like it's like the next technological level of the classic Hoya. Yeah, which looks yeah. really good actually. And the idea of the terracotta is that in the heat, it allows it's going to allow it's porous. Yeah, uh, it's porous. It's going to allow moisture mm. to be drawn out of it by the plants and the surrounding um, the surrounding soil. And then in the in the cool uh, or in the winter. Essentially, it's going to hold in and it's going to retain that moisture as well. Yeah. So it's a great little water storage and slow feeder for watering the garden. You can go really lo-fi too. I've seen you get like a, you know, if for someone that you know, drinks soft drink or, or whatever or soda water, um, yep. get a soda water bottle. Yeah, just fill it up with water and then just turn it upside down really quickly and shove it into the ground. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the water will just very slowly seep out or you could leave the lid on, poke a hole in the lid or two. Yep. And just leave it in there, and it will just sort of like almost like drip irrigation. Correct, uh, yeah. Which yep. can get you through a hot spell if you're going to be away. Yeah. Mm. So one thing that you mentioned just before is, which I think is really good and especially critical for Melbourne, is just keeping an eye on the on the bureau. Yeah. Uh, on the Bureau of Meteorology the website, bomb. the bomb yeah. website, <laughs> and just see what the forecast is looking like. Because as you said, we do often get those breaks. It might be a four-day run and then we get a big day of rain yeah. and it can help in our planning and, and things like that, especially in the most recent rains that we've had over the last couple of days. Yeah. That's been oh, brilliant for the garden. Yeah, it was yeah. great. I was, I was coming home from work and it was pouring down. And I thought, oh, well, that's one task I don't have to do tomorrow morning. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's beautiful. great. You know, awesome. <laughs> uh, um, but along, alongside that, of course, um, mulch. Mulch. mulch, 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 mulch. Yep, we've harped on about mulch in many, summer, many times. If you're not mulching in summer, you are fighting an uphill battle. Yep, that's that simple. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be fancy, finely shredded lucerne or anything. You can mulch with so many things. You can mulch with old dead leaves. You can chop and drop and use that as a mulch slash compost. Mm-hmm. You can mulch with plants. You can use nasturtiums as a living mulch. Um, Do you know? I, I cleaned up some nasturtiums and mm. what I wound up doing was throwing them at the base of all of the palms that I had. And, oh, yeah. uh, and these ones were the ones I think I mentioned a little while ago. They weren't doing so well in the area that they are. And uh, pulling out all these nasturtiums, I just threw them down there and it's created a, a barrier. Um, yeah. So the sandy soil underneath is 
not so sandy anymore. Yeah. Um, it's starting to get a bit more vegetation back into it. And it was a, it was a great tip. It worked really well. Yeah. There you go. Encourage it. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> what else? What else should we be doing? Or what are you doing? Well, we can... Let's say we've got pots in uh, plants in pots uh, is that we can potentially move them around a little bit. So some of our garden can be a bit flexible. Um, And if you know that you've got stuff that's right out in the middle of the sun um, and there's a potential to put it into a slightly shadier area, Mm. if we are expecting those really severe heats, it might be an opportunity just to shuffle things around a little bit in the garden, find a different space, even temporarily. Yeah. What else? A nudge, nets, shade? Nets, shade. I mean, you know, this is going to depend, I suppose, on... on the type of garden that you have mm-hmm. and how easy it's going to be to implement something like this. But don't be afraid to rip out the old green shade cloth, you know. I think that's it's a, a really good way, especially if you're expecting a bit of a heat wave, um, to maybe have one in the back pocket, you know. have a, Invest the money. We get heat waves almost every year, mm. right. So a big shade cloth, one that you know and maybe you'll go around your house and put some anchor points up you know, in corners of your main growing area um, that you can hook up, you know, one of those like playground style shade sails and actually just, yeah, shade out your garden for a a couple of days, especially if we have a hundred and, what was it, 101 Fahrenheit? 110. 110, 43.3 degree um, day. Uh, That's, I think, a really good idea. In, In Victoria, not as required as some other places, but... If we have any listeners in Adelaide or Perth or anything like that, mm. um, yeah, hundred percent. You should you should think about shading your your crops, especially things if you're growing lettuces in summer in in uh, you know over west. It's going to be a struggle mm. uh, if you don't have some way to shade them. Um, but then it could also just be a simple hoop structure on a on a on a raised garden bed and you know a little bit of cloth or something over it doesn't have to be super fancy either. Hmm. And it's probably going to take us slightly. We'll digress from this shortly um, to jump into our last our last topic. But it's going to be a little nudge to our, our section on green shade as well. Mm. So you can always set up uh, grapevines. We can all of those sorts of things. Yeah. So I'll hold that one. But green shade is definitely another one that can work during summer months. That's it. Um, think about those heat sources as well so the concrete slabs the big brick walls mm. how hot are they going to get um yeah. i speak from experience i was just thinking about some of those ones that we lost last season yeah and lastly is really in, te- in terms of um your of protection in the garden for ourselves is looking after yourself be cool yes slip, no one, slip, no one needs sunny. to get heat stroke in their own garden no <laughs> be a hydro homie um keep up your floors be a hydro homie <laughs> okay that's our first official t-shirt we're gonna have to we have to make hydro homies keep up your fluids <laughs> um strategize pick good times to work in the conditions and uh, summer summer evening garden gardening mm. is something that I, I just find being able to go out having light in the evening when it's a bit warmer, gardening then, it is just such a great time. Minus the mosquitoes, yeah. it is brilliant. I've not had a lot of mosquito pressure this year. No, no. I wouldn't say I have either. Yeah. No. So, yeah, things come and go, right? They, they always come in waves. It's, uh, it's cabbage moss. They're all, they're all coming after us now. That's it. 
And then, yeah, finally, uh, feeding your plants in summer. So this is obviously a part of the year where we've got some vigorous growing going on. Mm -hmm. So depending on what it is that you are trying to grow, um, you might want to really up your nitrogen levels. Um, So a good balanced, balanced inverted commas fertilizer, even just something like I always say, just use worm castings and compost. Sure. That, that, that takes care of like 99% of your, your issues uh, unless you have a deficiency of some kind. Uh, but if you're really trying to grow the leafy matter of a plant, if that's what you're looking for, so it might be your kales or your brassicas or anything. Yeah. Again, brassicas not typically a summer crop, but you can grow them in summer in Victoria, no issue. Think about, yeah, nitrogen for those plants in particular. Mm. Um, and then for plants that are you know, where you're looking to get the fruit or something else like that, you you want to be looking at a, a lower nitrogen fertilizer and moving more towards phosphorus and potassium. And we're just picking the big three here, NPK. Yep. It's big macronutrients. Yeah, there's, there's, you know, depending on how you break it up, there might be 13 nutrients that you're really looking at. It might be 85 that you're really looking at, however deep you want to go. But, you know, for things that are starting to fruit, you don't want to be blasting them with nitrogen. So like tomatoes is a good example because you'll get these beautiful, bushy, green, vibrant looking vines and minimal tomatoes. Mm. So upping the phosphorus and potassium levels, um, yeah, will we'll help to boost um, fruit set, um, you know, more flowers, more fruit set, stronger roots, mm. um, all those other things. And sometimes as well, the yellowish browning or stunted growth, yellowish mm. leaves, lower leaves can be sometimes a symptom of not enough potassium, maybe yep. needing some more potassium. That's it. So this is why you get your soil tested. Mm. You know? Garden safe. I mean, we mentioned it a couple of times, um, but the, the EPA is doing garden safe. Still free now, isn't it? Still free. Yep. So you can send in your garden soil samples, get them tested, see what your, what you, your soil is looking you, like. You'll get... You'll get a report. Let me tell you, I've seen I've seen one of the reports that comes back, mm. and they are almost scary when you read them. There's so much information, mm. um, but you know, uh, I think it's good. The more information, the better. All right. Stuff. We so, kick it into another song. Yes. Um, so this one, of course, given what we're going to talk about next, this one's called Grapes, <laughs> <laughs> and it's by James Marriott. And we're back. We forgot to go to an ad. Did we? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> we, we, we were chatting away and then the song ended. I was like, oh. No. We better, t- we better jump back into it. Um, we were talking all things green screens and passion fruit and all sorts of things. Yes. So here we're talking food vines. And in particular, we're talking a perennial food vines. Perennial, Of yes. course, we've talked a lot about annual food vines. We've talked about cucurbits. We've talked about tomatoes. Uh, but these are the ones that uh, take a little bit more thought into where you put them. Uh, and there's a lot of good uses for them besides getting food. Mm. So we'll, we'll talk specifically about four of the, well, three of the most popular ones and one that's becoming more and more popular in home gardens, mm. I'm finding. And you, you can buy it in a lot more places. But we're talking grapes, passion fruit, kiwi and hops. Yeah. So we're going to get a breakdown of some botanical names today as well. Mm. Yeah. Of course. So, sh- shall I kick it off with grapes? Let's do it. Let's do it. So, yeah. um, so they belong to the Vitus or Vitus family. Um, so, uh, sorry, the Vitus genus uh, within the Vitaceae family. Um, so, Vitus vinifera is um, the majority of wine and table grape varieties. I know there's another one. I can't remember the name of it. It's Vitus something else, which is also uh, uh, an edible grape. 
Um, I think that's the one that I have in my yard from memory. Some random old multiple generations cloned over the years variety that I got. But um, yeah, this is obviously uh, a very genetically diverse um, sort of family, I guess, uh, Mm -hmm. of plants. Um, Everything from, you know, really deep red, purple, sort of, um, you know, wine grapes and crimson reds, crimson reds. You've got every color. You've got them growing in multiple types of soil developed for multiple climates. If you think about where wine has been developed. For sure. Um, Yeah. And um, yeah, even some that are really only good when you dry them out. To make turn them into little sultanas, sultanas or and muskets <laughs> and raisins and all sorts all of that stuff. Sort of stuff. Yeah, for sure. So, um, how do we grow grapes? Yeah, definitely. So, oh, there's a lot. So, grape. One thing to know about grapes, and if you if you're a wine person, you know about terroir. terroir I can never pronounce that word, uh, but essentially, you know where things come from, um, playing a significant role in their flavor profile. Hmm. So that's got to do with, you know, the the mineral content of the soil is a big one. The amount of water, um, even the slope of a site, can really dictate how grapes grow and how they taste. So that's a big one. Um, paying attention to your soil composition. Um, and yeah, I mean, they're very, they're exceedingly easy to grow. Mm. I I think, um, you know, grapes will grow anywhere. They're, they're gnarly. You look at a grape trunk, right? They're gnarly. They're old. You see them growing in the most ridiculous of places. Um, recently I saw one at work, um, doing a a garden design for a, a childcare center, um, up in, uh, is it Collingwood? Collingwood or Fitzroy, mm-hmm. up that way. And yeah, this was a very busy uh, inner city childcare centre. Children running around, screaming, throwing things around. You know, the soil is garbage soil built on top of a garbage dump, you know, <laughs> God knows how many years ago. And right in the middle is this proud, <laughs> massive, proud, <laughs> uh, vibrant grapevine huge thing it needed a good prune yeah that's part of what i went there to to assess but <laughs> I, I, I looked i remember looking at it and thought it's growing in what looks like maybe 10 liters of soil mm-hmm. but the trunk is about as big as the opening of the pot that it's in it's, wow. it's in there and besides needing a good prune it looked pretty happy wow and that's that's grapes in a nutshell and they can live for a very very long time so one thing, of course, in terms of growing information is do, of course, pay attention to pruning though. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, different types of grapes will, will fruit on um, either the canes or on spurs. So it's worth figuring out which one it is so that you're actually pruning the right stuff off to get fruit. Um, and to think about the architecture of, of the grapevine. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you want it to grow? You know, do you want one big main leader with lots of bushy growth coming off do you want to split that into four or five to cover a deck really paying attention to that pruning is important to get good fruit set i find that um grapes as well 
really vigorous growers. Mm. So as soon as they those cane the, the canes, I believe, start to shoot off to the sides and go all over the place, they will run and it will, oh, yeah. it will climb over things, um, uh, climb up walls, <laughs> across tops, everything. Um, and v- yes, it can be very, very prolific in, in how it spreads. Um, I did one of the challenges that I've had with grapes personally is um, sometimes treating uh, disease that comes along as yep. well. And I haven't had a huge amount of experience, but I've got one grape in there, which is a fruiting grape, um, however, and it's supposed to be an eating grape. Um, however, uh, I believe the leaf, uh, there's something happening with the leaves, which I've got to address. Like, and a, like a rust or mold or? No, it seems to be, a, I think it might be a mite of some sort getting right. under the leaf and then blowing like almost bubbling on the top of the leaf and oh. then sitting underneath it. Um, and unfortunately, it's uh, it's kind of impacted on the productivity of the grapevine itself. So mm. I haven't yet to get – it is still quite young, but I've yet to get any full grapes off them and those grapes that have grown, the birds have gotten. Oh, no. <laughs> so unfortunately, it's not in a great nettable position, but I'm keen. I'm keen and I'm, I'm definitely going to keep on trying on the grapes. I've got my first one in. It's – not very big. It's, you know, maybe 20 centimetres tall. Mm-hmm. Um, it was grown from a cutting of this, yeah, gnarly old, you know, it's been passed down over generations um, by, I believe, old Italian families in Brunswick. That's what I hear. Yep. Uh, indestructible. Um, I got two cuttings. I managed to kill one of them. <laughs> somehow. <laughs> somehow is destructible. Uh, but the other one has, has a good amount of leaves on it. It hasn't started really shooting off. Mm. But I only just put it in the ground recently, so it's just establishing, I think. Mm. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll see how that goes. Some fun facts uh, about grapes. So there is, of course, the concept of um, old vines in viticulture, and viticulture, of course, is the uh, the growing of, of grape vines specifically. It's its own niche because mm-hmm. there's a lot of money in wine. Oh yeah, um, and this this refers to grapes that can be you know several decades or even centuries old. This is we're talking like olive country here, where you know you have plants that can be centuries old, and um, yeah, produce wines with very distinct and interesting characteristics because of that age. I don't know how, but it's a thing. Wow, there you go. <laughs> uh, and because of the, I guess the commercial importance and the cultural importance of of grapes and in particular wine. Let's be honest. Um, the study of grapevine genetics has led to a lot of advancements in like disease resistance, um, which has really spread out into other types of food plants. Um, so a lot of it has started with, you know, if we're thinking thousands of years ago, years ago, people were trying to figure out how to grow better grapes and get better wine in ancient Rome or whatever it is. So that's really carried on. It's been one of those species that's really led that charge in, in genetic diversity. Where there's motivation to study. <laughs> yeah, that's it. I mean... For the benefit of wine. <laughs> the benefit of wine. Um, and, yeah, as a result, of course, we have lots of interesting grape varieties now that we can purchase. Mm. Um, if you're looking to buy a grapevine now, uh, now that we're talking about this, maybe a bit late. Mm. Um, usually you buy them in winter and they are usually bare-rooted. And, um, yeah, you basically just buy them when they're totally dormant. Or if you can get a cutting... You could still strike a cutting now as well. Mm, great. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you, Henry. Vitis vinifera. Vitis vinifera. Nice. What about passion fruits? Oh. So passion fruit, I 
little uh, confession here is passion fruit flowers are my favorite flowers. They are so because they're weird so and cool. weird. <laughs> I was looking at it and I just look at this thing and I'm like, what? there's there's essential stamina. It's going straight up and then it forks out into three different, like perfectly angled, measured out <laughs> little sections of pie. It makes me think it's of, got the frilly yeah. stuff. It's got colours and white bits and blue bits and green bits and all sorts of things. It looks so strange. It, it makes me whenever I see one, and I see them now every day because they're in my backyard, but. It, it makes me think of like imagine a child in school cutting up four or five different flowers and sort of stitching them together, making like a monster yeah, yeah. weird combination. Yeah. That's what they look like to me. They're just so out there, alien. Correct. Yeah. And I thought, gosh, that's such a incredible, incredible creation uh, of, of how it's evolved and, mm. uh, and, and how it's formed up. Um, passion fruit. So pass, um, Passiflora ACA. The family includes nice. over 500 species, uh, with Passiflora edulis known for its economic importance. So that's, your, that's your main one. So right? this your is our this is our um, mm. this is our passion fruit. So the intricate structure of the passion flower blooms has led to its association with religious symbolism. I did not know that. I believe that though. <laughs> I didn't know it either, but I believe it. I believe it. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. Um, so one of the things about um, passion fruits, there's a couple of bits and pieces about care for passion fruit because they can take a little bit of care. Mm. Um, susceptible to root rot uh, in poorly drained so- soil. Yeah. So we're not going to want to have wet toes and we want to be putting them, think about the positioning of where yeah. we're putting those uh, passion fruit vines. Um, a lot of humidity humidity can also impact that fruit set. And um, if this is probably going to be from more of the tropical regions. Mm. Um, All of our listeners in in cans. In cans. What else? Propagation through seeds or cutting is both or cuttings is both common, and <coughs> excuse me. Um, select your ultimate cultivars if you want to be a bit picky with what you're yeah. selecting. You to don't grow. just have to have the the black skinned classic. There's mm. lots of cool, interesting varieties easily available. Mm. Yeah. Uh, what else? Some fun facts apart from the passion flower. Um, the passion flower has been explored for its potential medicinal properties, including anti-anxiety effects. And there's a unique aroma compound in passion fruit <coughs> contributes to its distinctive fragrance and flavors. Yeah. I love go. passion fruits. Great, great easy snack. They're, yeah. They're, they're one Super of my favorites. Sweet. Um, and you know, they can be a little bit finicky, but if you put them in the right spot, they do tend to just do their thing, and they can they can be incredibly vigorous. Mm, like mm. they could, I, I've seen examples where you know in in a few months they've gone from you know a small, I would say seedling, but you know a sort of one meter long plant start to you know covering an area of twenty square meters. Mm, mm, um, mm. If you get them in the right spot. Often you'll see them against a brick wall or yep. a fence and it's taken over the fence yeah. <laughs> or it's taken over the side of the house. I remember in my old my old um, share house back in Northcote, um, my neighbours who were also renting um, had a passion fruit in, in their backyard and I don't think they were gardeners at all. So it would always just kind of come along the fence mm-hmm. and then I, <laughs> I slowly just started pulling it over a little bit more and like attaching it to my side of the fence. Beautiful. Try to encourage it to grow more on my side. <laughs> um, 
and it worked really well. Yep. <laughs> I got a few passion fruit out of it. Um, what else about passion fruit? I haven't had a huge amount of experience growing them myself. I do remember as a kid um, we did have one huge passion fruit vine and that produced quite a lot. But you mentioned not a forever plant, um, that maybe five, ten years of good functioning and then perhaps it's not going to be producing quite as well. Um, and also just to consider what's going to go in after that passion fruit. Mm, yep. Hmm. What else? So that's an option. Uh, so now, so passion fruits are, are evergreens, mm-hmm. as far as I'm aware. Um, grapes are deciduous, so they lose their leaves in winter. Um, so there's a lot of practical uses for grapes uh, and passion fruit, different situations. Kiwi, like like grapes, um, are deciduous. So, um, yeah, not many people think about growing kiwi. It's one of those ones that I don't see them often in people's gardens. They're actually not that not that hard to to grow, mm. and I I love kiwi, so maybe there's a time in the future where I'll think about growing them myself. So this one is uh, Actinidia deliciosa. Deliciosa sounds right to me. Uh, it's part of the Actinidi- Actinidiaceae family. I think I'm getting started. We're starting to get good at these, um, and. It's one that uh, its genome has been sequenced, so it's uh, it's you know good for sort of you know breeding programs mm-hmm. uh, and things like that. Uh, it is dioecious. I think I've pronounced that right. It's pretty good. But basically, that means uh, you need a male and a female plant to get fruit. So mm. it's something. It's like um, you know the native pepperberry. Um, what are some other examples? Where you need one of each. Well, there are definitely some plums and uh, and apples and fruit trees and things like that that will require a second, um, yeah. depending on. And often in, in with those fruit trees as well, you can look at double grafting where it's yeah. a self it's a self pollinating based on the double graft. Yeah, right. But, um, yeah, I male think that's more though. Plant. That's more just crossbreeding, right? As opposed to male and female flowers. I I, I believe so. Yeah, we'll I think you're right. But anyway. In any case, you will need to buy at least two, um, mm-hmm. and you will have to make sure. And when you buy them, you'll see this on the on the pot. It will say male or female. Um, my parents have uh, a large balcony that is the entire you know, railing all the way around is is kiwi. Oh wow! Um, I don't think they've ever gotten fruit, and I think this is the reason why. So perhaps it's <laughs> either a male or female plant, exactly, and there's and no other second plant. It's vigorous. It's they they can get quite large, quite vigorous. Um, in particular, their you know their branches, I suppose, can get quite thick and woody, mm-hmm. and um, sort of like like a grape, kind of really harden. So that's also a consideration. Yeah. Um, so with kiwis, uh, there is a chilling requirement. So. You mentioned plums and things like that and apples. Um, you know, lots of fruit trees have a chilling requirement, which means there's a certain amount of hours every year that the plant will have to experience under a certain temperature in order for uh, fruit to, to be able to set. Mm. So, you know, some some people get away with this um, by, you know, if, if, if you're growing from seed, for example, uh, putting the seeds in the fridge for a certain period of time stuff like that but that's something that you definitely have to think about um and yeah uh, that's that's really all about kiwi there's not a ton of information to be honest uh think about trellising though this is one where you you do need a a heavy trellis it's gonna be yeah 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 um (coughs) sort of thing the plants these big creepers uh with these 
maybe with grapes and with hops, not going to be so heavy on the plants. But yeah. with passion fruit and um, and kiwis, can be quite heavy on on whatever it's leaning on, yeah. a fence structure or something like that. And I think for all of these, I would say, you know, your tomato trellis isn't going to work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, you're, you're, maybe you're some talking, Rio. You're talking some Rio. You're talking, you know, braided stainless steel cord. You're talking something like that. So mm. something to know. Uh, fun facts about kiwi. Um, antioxidant rich, which is mm. a really good thing to have in the garden. Like blueberries, right? Really strong in antioxidants. So if you eat these, you'll stay young and youthful. So that's just a tip there for you. <laughs> uh, really good for your immune system as well. Uh, so, yeah. You know, if, you're, if you're really growing a food garden for health, yep. which I would argue all food gardens are, but if you really want to grow medicinal plants... Kiwi is actually a really good fruit for that. Mm. And there's a few different types now as well, aren't there? Yeah, it's not just your classic, you know, brown skinned and and green, green, green on the inside. Green. Yeah, exactly. And then there's the, like, the yellow skinned mm-hmm. and yellow on the inside. Now you've got red fleshed ones. You've got golden ones. Uh, again, this is one where if you love kiwis, stop buying them maybe and mm. start growing them because you can get some really interesting varieties um, that are out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, this last one, we were just uh, discussing Woo-hoo. about it beforehand. <laughs> um, this one's a little bit of a, a – of a <laughs> it's an interesting one. That's hops. And the botanical name for hops has got the coolest – I love it. The coolest botanical name. And this made us straight away think of – what was it? Harry Potter. A Harry Potter spell. <laughs> it's like a magic give it spell. To, yeah. <laughs> give, give it to us, Henry. Humulus lupulus. Humulus lupulus. <laughs> <laughs> And interestingly, it's part of the Cannabinaceae family. Um, so that's part of the cannabis. What other plants are part of that family? <laughs> part of the cannabis family. Yes, uh, hemp. The hemp, hemp family. The hemp family. Yeah. And so it's got female, female flowers and hop cones and it is prized in brewing. Mm. So hops are very much used in brewing and brewing beer. Yeah, so... Well, go on. Well, I won't interrupt you. No, no, that's all good. <laughs> so a bit of growing information around hops um, is obviously we've got some very, very, a lot of research and science that's gone back into the industry as well. So the brewing industry's demand for specific hop varieties has driven molecular breeding programs to select desired traits. Um, so hop cones contain lupulin glands which are rich in essential oils and alpha acids and in part uh, essentially bitterness and aroma to beer yeah so hops is what's going to give you your beer a bitter the bitterness and and certain aromas as well the profile yeah sustainable hop farming practices include cover cropping and integrated pest management for and they are also gaining prominence as well i like this because i think I think it, this comes back to things like craft brewing, you mm-hmm. know, craft beers, where there is a certain, I think, the certain mentality of, of a lot of craft brewers is is doing things differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that sort of translates to the farming aspect of how is the hops grown, and is it grown at a large commercial, you know, your classic every, you know, your classic VB type bit. Not to, I don't mind a VB every now and again, but you know, those. Big, big scale growing operations. Whereas craft beer, I think they're looking for more of that permaculture kind of, you know, more, more of a niche or a connection to where, yeah, and, and where things, you, that are, things that are grown in a more where your ingredients way. are coming from for yeah. sure. And I think hops is a, is a nice 
encapsulation of that. And there's yeah. been a huge uprising, or uprising, <laughs> not uprising, there's been a huge <laughs> popularity increase of, of craft beers in the last really decade and such. Mm. Um, after, I guess, what would be Stone and Wood from Byron Bay, um, that sort of time. But the craft beers yeah. in Australia are, are really... Um, are really taking off and there's a huge place for them. And I noticed that even a few of my friends uh, have been inspired to be, oh, I want to grow some hops, I want to do yeah. this. And, um, and if they're home brewers as well, that sort of stuff, why not? Why not? Yeah. So some fun facts about hops. Um, the, the hops varieties are often named for their unique aromatic and, and flavour profiles and that actually contributes to such a diverse amount of beer styles. Mm. Yeah, they've, got, they've got funny names like Galaxy and like Astro and like stuff like that. <laughs> like nice. Out there sort of names. <laughs> That's cool. I like it. Um, and the historical significance of hops in brewing dates back centuries. Um, preservatives, essentially the preservatives, preservative properties were crucial for beer storage during long sea voyages. So yeah. there's a bit of a fun fact and on that, hops. And that's really... Hops to preserve. That's really the thing of hops. That's, that's kind of why hops was used in beer in the first place as a natural preservative. Mm-hmm. Um, the bitterness was almost like a, you know, a, a side benefit, I suppose, for some people. Some people don't like hoppy beers, but um, yeah. This is one where, you know, if, if I know a home brewer, uh, I know a few home brewers, but I know one that lives uh, in my area, uh, a friend of mine, and I, I asked him, I was like, if I grow hops will you take it and make beer for me? He said, yeah, sure. I was yep. like, okay, well, if you out there have a home brewing friend or you are a home brewer, get someone to grow hops or grow hops for someone. That's a cool way to maybe take down the beer bill every month yeah, <laughs> if you're a beer sure. drinker. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I, I fully encourage and, and implore mm. that sort of an idea, the food swap idea, um, yeah. being able to go through even at the garden the other week there were some eggs that came back through and some strawberries from the farm and it was just it was really cool um we i think we donated some food in our garden um my my wife passed some on to her friends from boxing as well and uh yeah just food swaps great idea why not if you're growing something really well and somebody else is growing stuff really well Sometimes too many zucchinis, sometimes too much broccoli. Give it away. Give it away. Um, swap it with friends. Produce and get some of that uh, diversity growing. Home grown fruit and vegetables. Yes. Wonderful. That is pretty much going to wrap it up That's for... last show of the, of the year. For 2024. What a what? year. It's been a good, good year. Well, it's been about half a year. But it's <laughs> been about half a year. From May. From May onwards. From May onwards. What events do we have? So the only event I have to talk about is um, it might be a little bit too late for people um, to sign up, but there might still be a possibility, um, which is the Edible Food Forest Tour that's happening this Sunday. Um, This is a a more of a private tour um, for the Mornington Peninsula Permaculture Network. Um, Yeah, if you don't already and you're interested in permaculture and you're in the area, uh, feel free to join the the Facebook group, Friends of the Mornington Peninsula Permaculture Network. It's a bit of a mouthful. Uh, and then uh, look for the event in there and um, there might be a, a chance to jump in at the last minute, but it's pretty full up. So I just wanted to say that there. Uh, it'd be $20 per head if you can get in uh, and children under six are free. That's cool. what I to do there. Um, so that's yeah. on Sunday the 3rd of December? 
this coming Sunday, the 3rd of December. Cool. That's right. And that's at the Edible Food Forest. Uh, I do know that they, there are other times as well that they will yeah, do yeah. tours. They're not open like on this. Sundays normally, but um, yeah, you can you can organise a tour most weekends on a, on a Saturday, I believe. Mm. Come go, go have a look and I encourage you to do so. And as a final send-off, we just wanted to say thank you, as always, to everybody who is listening and participating. Um, as we mentioned, we started this little podcast and and radio adventure back in May, and it has been it's been very very a lot of fun chatting with you, Henry, and just talking about gardening. Um, sometimes when I'm at home, and you know, if I want, <laughs> I might not have always the same sort of echo around me from yeah. a gardening perspective. So to be able to just chat. And gardening. have it come right back as well. That's it. And then we lose a couple of hours and we're still chatting about gardening and green screens and while the breaks are on, we're still chatting. That's it. Um, so it has been um, it has been really good. It's been really exciting. It all, I'm, I'm always excited to talk about what's growing. I always walk away with a bit of a smile on my face after the, after the episode. So a massive thank you to everybody and to you, Henry, for 2023. Bring on 2024. Ditto. <laughs> no, it's, it's been great, Brendan. Uh, and I'm, yes, very excited um, for what 2024 brings on the air with you and uh, in the garden, of course. But it's been an absolute pleasure doing this. Uh, it's a nice little school night highlight for me to hang out with you, to nerd, of, nerd out about plants, get some really cool questions from our listeners as well mm. um, and, and have a bit of fun with botanical names. <laughs> Some of them are really, really hard. Yep, yep. Um, so yeah, my only, my two final points. Um, I'll get up onto my soapbox for one second here. Uh, start collecting and using rainwater, and start a garden journal. That's great. And that's me. That's all I'll say. That is great <laughs> advice. Um, Thank you so much, everybody. Absolutely. Happy gardening for 2023, and for the last time for this year. This is Brendan and Henry signing off. See you later. <laughs>